Abba Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for the way that you've shown mercy. And I'm asking for grace and favor right now tonight. Please open up her eyes, just like the psalmist said, open up her eyes to see wonderful things from your law. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. And Chris Weaver's clicking in. Okay. So uh, let's just jump right in. So this is the next block in, in James, with the exception that verse 12, if you're looking at the Greek text, it's as though verse 12 is a freestanding verse. But I'm going to include it for a couple of reasons, and we'll see that in just a minute. So let me read this, and, and we'll work through it. So, therefore, be patient, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord, the farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Do not complain, brothers and sisters, against one another, so that you may not be judged Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. As an example, brothers and sisters, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. But above all, brothers and sisters, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but your yes is to be yes and your no, no, so that you do not fall under judgment. So really fascinating to me. And uh, uh, let's kind of pick this thing apart so that you can see some things. So what I'd like to do first is just show you what would happen if we pulled out verse 9 and pulled out verse 12. All right? Notice the flow of the argument from, say, 8 to 10. You too be patient, strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. As an example, brothers and sisters of suffering and patience, take the prophets, etc. Can you see the continuity of that? We're talking about patience. And he flows right from 8 to to 9. Let's back up. Look at that again. It's as though 9 kind of interrupts it. It's it's like an odd insertion. He's talking about be patient. The, The farmer waits. Be patient. Strengthen your hearts. Don't complain. All of a sudden, don't complain. Brothers and sisters against one another so that you won't be judged. It's like this... It's like an odd shift in subject. Then he comes back out and he says, as an example, brothers and sisters, of suffering and patience, we're back on the subject of patience and endurance. Consider, you know, consider the prophets. So, yeah, let's go back again. Notice the flow of the argument if you pull 9 and you pull 12. Okay, interesting. Why did he do that? What's going on? Um, it's a very flowing argument without that. But something's happening that is really significant. So let's keep digging here. Um, so let's look at 7 and 8 and 10 and 11 and just look at some vocab. 
Uh, the language of patience, uh, endurance is peppered throughout this section, all right? Um, macro, you know what a mi micro and macro are? Okay, well, the main word for patience is macrothemia. And macro means big, big emotion, big patience, big ability to endure, you know, kind of thing. It's really what it means. So it's command. Hey, I'm commanding you be patient. And you realize waiting is the right thing to do. Be patient. It just flows right through this thing. Uh, be patient, be patient. And so there's a major theme of patience. Huh. What's going on? All right. So let's look at 9 and 12, which are the two verses that are oddly inserted in the material. Verse 9. Do not complain, brothers and sisters, against one another, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is sitting at the door. Now, obviously, there's echoes from right out of Matthew 7. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. From the way you judge, you will be judged, and by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. And then the teaching and the speck and the brother's eye, etc. Romans 14, again, more material about why would you judge your brother and sister? Um, we're all going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so why would you do that? And every knee will bow. That includes your knee, and it includes the knee of the person you're judging. So don't judge anybody anymore. And don't put an obstacle in the way of your brother or sister. So, what does this tell you about, about James as an author? James is writing. What does it say about the source of his material? Because he's writing later. What does it say about source information? Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's right there. And you really get the same thing with verse 12, Amy. And above all, my brothers and sisters, don't swear. Again, this odd insertion. Don't swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath. Your yes is to be yes and your no, no. And don't go beyond that so that you don't fall into judgment. It's right out of Matthew 5, 33. Do not make false vows. Fulfill your vows. Take no oath at all, neither by heaven, for it's the throne of God, nor by earth, for it's his footstool, nor by Jerusalem. All right? Nor shall you take an oath by your head, for you cannot make a single hair white or black. But make sure your statement is yes, yes, or no, no. So right out of the text, this is almost verbatim from Matthew 5. By the way, there's a, in Matthew 23, there's eight woes. Eight judgments that Jesus pronounces against the Pharisees. Eight critical statements uh, demonstrating, quite frankly, how out of God's will they are, the Pharisees. And then this, he says, you Pharisees, you'll, you won't swear by the temple, but you'll swear by the gold that's in the temple. You won't swear by the altar, but you'll swear by what's on the altar. You know, Jesus is simply saying, you guys got it all mixed up when it comes to what is uh, what's important in making a, pr a promise or about um, you know what Bruce and Miss Sue here we might we might need to 
restart for them. What do you think? You know, I realize that you guys have already walked through the gist of it, but okay. So, but again, Amy, you, you said it well. What does it say about James and the source information? Yeah. So it's really an interesting thing that James does not have a problem memorizing what his brother said. All right? James really does follow his brother. He really is serious about that and the teachings of his brother. He's so serious about it that he's almost quoting it in places verbatim. Almost. By the way, does the Apostle Paul do this? Does, does Paul quote Jesus? Tammy, what do you think? Does he quote Jesus this directly? Probably not a fair question. But he actually doesn't. Uh-uh. No, no. Yeah, it's really interesting. There's very few references that are direct and really pointed like, ah, that is so obvious he's quoting Jesus from Matthew 7 or Matthew 6. It's just not there. Now, we know Paul does it, but it's so deeply blended, it's hard to know. Is that something Paul is saying or is that something Jesus is saying? Uh, Paul so uh, integrates it. Um, hello. Good to see you guys. Hey. So... Um, Miss Sue, I'm glad you're here. It is good to see you. So um, what we're doing, we're digging into Matthew, Matthew, uh, James 5, 7 to 12, and focusing in on a, a couple of really curious things about the text. And so let's look at this. Um, if you notice uh, 7 to 12, uh, therefore be patient. Notice how many times the word patience comes up. Uh, therefore be patient till the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits. That's a patience idea for the precious produce, being patient about it uh, until it gets the early late rains. So you too be patient. Strengthen your hearts for the coming of the Lord is near. Do not complain. And, and oddly, there's this, a shifting of gears here, a shift of the information in verse 9. Do not complain, brothers and sisters, against one another, that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. What does that have to do with patience? That's a curious thing. Um, as an example, he comes back out. Uh, as an example, brothers and sisters, of suffering and patience, now we're back on task. Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. And we count those blessed who endured another patience idea. Uh, and endured literally means uh, it, it, it's hypomeno. Hypo means under. Like you're, if your thyroid is inactive, it's hypo. If it's overactive, it's hyper, which is Greek. So hypo under, meno, which literally means to get up under and stay up under it. You know, hold, hold that bar. Don't let go. Just endure it. Get under it and hold it up is literally what it means. Stay put. Don't quit. Um, so consider these men who endured, and again, patience language, and uh, you've heard of the endurance of Job. That's actually a better translation. Older translations said you've heard of the patience of Job. It's actually endurance. 
And, but above all, and then this oddly, he changes subject again. But above all, my brother and sister, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth, or by end or the oath, but your yes is to be yes, your no, no, so that you do not fall under judgment. Interesting. So what if we read the text and we pulled out 9 and 12? Look how smoothly the argument flows. Therefore, be patient till the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the soil to produce the fruit. Being patient about it. It, it will rain eventually. Come on. It's going to come. You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts as an example of suffering and patience. And it goes right on through. And then eventually you've heard the patience. Do you see the flow of the argument? Okay. Interesting. Let's do a little bit of work here uh, regarding patience. Macrothumeo or macrothemia literally means the big ability to regulate your emotions. It just means to be patient. Big macro, big emotion, big patience, the ability to, to not quit. Uh, it's all through here to endure as I've mentioned, uh, hupa, meno. Okay, so we've got that idea. Let's keep going here. What if we focused on just verse 9 for a second? Um, Amy, we chatted about it, so don't complain with the sisters. Don't judge so that you don't, you know, you're not judged. This is drawn, uh, Bruce, directly from Jesus' own words. Matthew 7, 1 to 5, don't judge so that you will not be judged. By the way you judge, you'll be judged. By your standard of measure, it'll be measured to you. And then the familiar teaching on the speck. Romans 14, don't judge each other. And that includes uh, the people in the churches in Rome who were strict adherents to a green, leafy, vegetable diet, and that's the way to prove faithfulness to God. They're not allowed to judge the more liberal people who could eat a pot roast sacrifice to Zeus and vice versa, those that were free to eat a pot roast sacrifice to the local, at the local cult did not have business judging the people in church that felt like you could only eat vegetables, that kind of a thing. So, um, Amy, what was your comment? What does this reveal about James and his source information? Yeah. So can you appreciate that, Bruce? He's focusing in on his brother. Well, what I can appreciate is that you have an uncanny way of uh, remembering a conversation we had. Uh, yeah. uh, you, you, that's it. Yeah, yeah. That's it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So um, there is a kind of grace revealed that James has no problem <coughs> quoting his brother. <laughs> James is the little brother to Jesus, and he has no problems quoting him. So, um, and then verse 12, again, this curious changing of subject about oaths and making vows, swearing. That means to make a vow. Um, you don't do it by heaven or earth or any other oath. You don't do it. Your yes is yes, your no, no. We're done. It's drawn straight from the text of Matthew 5. I say make no oath at all. And if you are going to make a vow, you better fulfill it. 
And again, that, that language, yes, yes, no, no, anything beyond that is of evil origin. And Matthew 23 is a reference to the Pharisees who abused vows. Really interesting, the whole chapter. So, so all right, which leads to this question. Why does James insert 9 and 12 in the paragraph, in the pericope? A pericope is paragraph, I think paragraph. Yeah, why does he do that? And the, now, now here's what literary scholars are going to wrestle with. They're going to say, James did that and he did it on purpose. Or a copyist, a scribe, inserted it, which I don't think is the case. I think James did it. Why? Why would he do that? What does patience have to do with complaining? There's your first hint. <laughs> What does patience have to do with complaining? And what does patience have to do with making promises and vows? Well, they reference Job, so that's all you need to know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What do you think? Is, what is the wisdom to be gained by noticing the odd shifting in argument by the inserting and the inclusion of 9 and 12? Does it have to do with avoiding a rush to judgment? What's that? Avoiding a rush to judgment? I, I think you're on to something, Janice, I sure do. Is this small little, these are Christian communities sprinkled, remember the diaspora, they're cast out of Jerusalem, and so these little fledgling Christian groups are meeting in homes. Are they in persecution? Yes. If you remember from last time we met, it appears that rich outsiders, Jewish, non-Christians, are persecuting these poor Christians, even taking property. And so you've got rich Jews causing suffering among poor Christians. And occasionally, a wealthier Christian might come into the church and what does James say you're not to do? Oh, oh, here, come sit here in the nice chair. And, and the poor brother, oh, no, no, you go back there. You know, you sit on the back wall, you know, sit on the floor. So you have this tension among these churches. Do you honor a wealthy person when they come in because they might bring you food <laughs> and you're poor? There's pressure, you know. Um, this is a persecuted group of churches. So I'm just curious. I'm making a generalized observation. When we get frustrated, when we feel pressured, we feel denied what is rightfully ours, a good meal, peace and quiet with it, and a clean home, and an orderly home and all those things and you get denied what you think is yours uh, and a car that starts when you want to start your car, all those kinds of things. And it doesn't happen. Anybody here get your cranky pants on? Anybody here get negative? Anybody here start to complain? And it's kind of a curious thing that when we're upset with God, who do we complain about? Do we complain about God? How rude. We wouldn't do that. So who do we complain about? People. 
got a chip on our shoulder toward God and we take it out on people. I know no one, no one would ever do that here. Certainly not I, right? You get upset at the way life's going and how God seems to not answer your prayers and so you're a little put out. And you kick the dog when you come home. Or you snap at your husband or your wife or your kids. And you're, you get negative. You get complaining. So, uh-oh, if there's a hint there, then it is brilliant that James inserted verse 9 in the flow of argument. And he's getting kind of at a rude idea that when Christians are persecuted, they can turn on each other. And the crowd gets thinner. Christians under pressure can turn on each other just like other people can. You know, so there's, there's a lot of wisdom in that. Okay, verse 12, that's a curious thing. What does swearing and vow making and yes and yes and no and no, what would that have to do with persecution, persecution endurance, and maybe some catty, frustrating church relationships? where there's complaining and negativity. What do you think? What is one way a Christian could get out of trouble? If there's an arrest, there's threatening with jail time, threatening with a... uh, public punishment, a kind of caning. What if there was something you could do to get out of that? What is that one thing you could do? Make a vow. I promise. I will. I swear. I'm going under oath. I will not do anything, say anything to upset the equilibrium of Rome to show disrespect for the Caesar or for local magistrates or local local governors. I swear I'll be a good boy. I make a vow. It is possible that this is a a soft way of saying when you when you are a follower of Jesus and you say you will take up your cross daily and follow him, that's your yes. And your yes needs to be a yes. And you don't say, no, I deny him or I'm softening my commitment. So, all right. So, what do you think? How could we potentially draw wisdom for our relationships today, um, the culture that we live in today as followers of Jesus. And what about patience? What about patience? And our need to endure, have endurance. Why Why is that the driving virtue? And it's said, what, six, seven times? Why is that such a driving virtue in this kind of culture. What do you think?
Notice this, notice how this is linked up. Verse eight, you two be patient, strengthen your hearts for the coming of the Lord is near. Kind of focus on that idea. Um, remember in, in the gospels, Jesus made a statement that caused a lot of confusion among the disciples. Jesus said, some of you who are standing here will not see death before the Son of Man returns. Okay? And it even says to, therefore a rumor went out <laughs> that, that certain disciples are not going to die before he comes back. And it caused confusion. When's he coming back? The first followers literally thought it was any day now, post-resurrection. And here we are, 2022. <laughs> It's a long time, isn't it? Okay. So, James argues that his brother is near and his father, the judge, is standing right at the door. Do you hear the proximity language? You know, you know proximity, nearness, distal, far away, proximal, close. Look at the proximity language. The Lord's near. The Lord's dad is right at the door. Okay? That's pretty heavy stuff. So James is saying, guys, guys and gals, brothers and sisters, we need to live like it's any minute now, and he's right there ready to knock on the door. He's right there with us. And he, he does this to teach us the harvest is coming. The rains are coming. There will be produce. There will be a crop. There will be a harvesting. There's heaven. It's coming. Don't quit. Don't give up on your faith. Don't quit. Okay? I love the language of 11. We count those blessed who endured. And you have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings that the Lord is full of compassion and merciful. Regarding the Job comment and the Lord's outcome, what's, what's that a hint of, Amy? The outcome regarding the Job story? Restoration. Absolutely. Everything that he lost, everything, all restored. And far more than he had originally. Yeah. And so this text, it's really designed to give us hope and encouragement that what we endure here on earth is not all there is. More is coming. The Lord is near. The Father of Jesus is at the door. He is the judge. He will judge everything. All wrongs will be made right. And just like Job was restored, we're going to be restored. And the things lost and the brokenness will all be healed. So... Anybody else about the text and how we can draw encouragement from it? Anybody?
Okay, let's look at um, the text of the Lord's Supper. Um, I want to focus really on verse 26. Um, let me begin by reading. Obviously, Paul says, I received from the Lord. There's a tradition. Uh, that which I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Think about me. Remember what happened. In this same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And notice this. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That idea, until he comes, remember, that's, that's a proximal idea. They didn't believe it was going to be another 2,000 years. <laughs> they thought it was coming quick. We, at our vantage point, don't see the urgency of that. We see, man, we're in the long haul. We're in the long haul of waiting. Um, and so I James... I have to believe if it, if it doesn't even mean something else. Are you tracking with me? I mean, we, we've, all, we've taken it to mean that. Maybe, maybe that's... Maybe it means something else that we just don't... Yeah, that's it. That's interesting. That's good, Bruce. In fact, um, because it doesn't jive. It doesn't. Yeah. He's, he's, where is he? Where, where is he? Yeah. Yeah. And the church really struggled with this. You know, and do you take Jesus at his word? Yes. <laughs> Was he wrong? Did Jesus get it wrong? You'd say no. Well, he can't get it wrong. Um, and so what did he mean by it all? And uh, it's hard. The church really struggled with this, you know, for, for years. And there are many who still struggle with it today. Uh, and yet, when you read the latter Pauline writings, like Thessalonians, do you know what, you know one way the church reconciled this? Is that he already came and they missed the bus. Read 1 Thessalonians. They already came, and they missed the bus. Yeah. In fact, Paul says, look, i got to correct this thing. I don't know where this is starting, but this is not good. Some of you believe that if you die, you miss the bus. You're not going to heaven if you die before the return. How's that for urgency? Don't die. You'll miss the bus. You don't go to heaven. And then Paul goes, no, let me clear this up. Don't you understand when he comes back, those who have died in Christ, what? Rise first. Remember that, Phyllis? Mm-hmm. And those of us who remain, what? We're caught up with him in the air. Make sense? So one of the ways the early church struggled this brute is they thought, <gasps> we missed the bus. He came. We were in the wrong village <laughs> when he got here. And they panicked. And it was a small little group of Christians on this village not too far from the coast named Thessalonica. And they were terrified that they missed the bus. So, 
Yeah. And that sets us up, Bruce, for the long haul. The long, long wait. So, anybody else a question or anything you want to share? Okay, let me pray. Abba Father, thank you for your love and grace and chance to take the bread and the cup and remember uh, you've called us to follow you and to be faithful and to be patient like a farmer who waits for the crops to grow. Um, thank you that you're faithful to us and you will not leave us or forsake us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, when you're ready, take the Lord's Supper.